Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner Holman. What am I paying attention to today? Math. And for those of you who know me, math is not something that I pay attention to. So, why in the world am I paying attention to math? Because I got introduced to two amazing collaborators last year, probably time in the time of COVID, but probably last spring, late winter, something like that. Sometime in early 2021, I met these two amazing people. And I realized that, yes, sometimes one plus one plus one equals three. And sometimes one plus one plus one equals one. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is sometimes you meet people that you just click in with so great and either you're like, hey, I want to be your friend, which isn't something we usually say as grownups, but you know, occasionally we get to say that. And sometimes we meet people who we realize, I want to collaborate with you. And sometimes we get to do both. So what we're doing today is a really different kind of show. And I am so excited to be here with you. So about six months ago, we did this as a presentation. And so in the show notes, there will be a link to slides, which we used when we actually did this as a presentation. And obviously, we are not presenting today, so it will be more casual, more fun, even more awesome than it was the first time. And if you want some fun visuals, please go and check out the slides from the show notes. So I want to introduce you to my co-collaborators, Alex Selinsky and Bell Walker. Please introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm Alex Zelensky. I'm really excited to be here with Janine and Bell. And what I do and my organization does is help companies, businesses get ready for sale and scale. And I do that from sort of the inside look out, looking at the operations, the systems, the routines, and the way that people are structured in one fell swoop. And occasionally get the opportunity to team up with Bell and Janine on the same. And I'm happy to be here. And I'm Bell Walker. Delighted and honored to be rounding out this trio. I'm with Bellevue Consulting, and I take organizations from friction to function. On the surface, there's a lot of overlap with what Alex and Janine do, which is perfect because it means we know how to complement and support each other, which I'm excited to explore 
later today, but I also zero in on structures and then also on the process side to make sure that everything is operating smoothly and that clients don't become victims of their own success. Awesome. And as you know, I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and my company is the J&J Consulting Group. And what we do is work inside of organizations on the people part. So anything where people are not working together as well as they might be. And so as you can see, between structure and function and people, all of the different elements that we bring together, you can see how we might just be an awesome kick-ass kind of team for an organization to bring all of us in. Because really, Alex focuses on specifically organizational strategy and a lot of other awesome things. Bell focuses on processes and structure. And I focus on getting people appropriately motivated and rowing in the same direction. And together, if you focus on all those different things, that's what makes an organization function well. And imagine you or one of your clients or one of your friends or somebody that you met at a networking event, this could be their scenario. So you're a founder and you've been working so hard to get to where you are today. And you thought that by now, it would be so much easier than this. You thought it would look like your organization was working like a well-oiled machine, except (laughs) that's not at all how it's going. You're fighting fires, and so you're being reactive instead of proactive. It could be that you feel like you've hit the growth ceiling knowing how to do what you know how to do, but there's a lot more that needs to happen and you're not sure how to get it there. I was talking with a client just two days ago who said to me that before he and I started working together, he had decided maybe he had to just close down his company because even though they were incredibly profitable, it was a mess internally and he couldn't figure out how to fix it. Obviously, in these kinds of organizations, sometimes you're watching money fly out the door and you're not even clear if you're getting returns on those investments. It could be that your people are floundering or some of them don't have any clear direction or any clear accountability. It could be that you're mired in miscommunication and tense relationships and you've just been hoping that things are going to get better. If you grind a little more, you're going to get to the other side. And what we know is that by focusing on some key elements, it doesn't have to be this way. So Alex, take it away. Sure. So This is really about creating some key shift from the organization that's in pain to the organization that's succeeding. They're in the realm of strategy and process and in people. And a way to imagine that is defining where it is that we want to go, that North Star. That's partly 
the goal that you have for your organization. It could be the goal as a, as a leader that you have for your life because we do business in part because we have some ideas of what that will do for our lives. Yeah. So that's sort of setting the strategy. And then what's the process that's going to take us there? What's the ladder we're going to climb? What's the navigational route? And who are the people, the roles that are going to get us there? That takes, you know, so there are companies that at all different stages need to be defining this North Star, the route they're going to take and who they need to climb the ladder. And so let's take a hypothetical example. You can imagine an organization that is creating technology to, let's say, monitor energy usage for commercial buildings. You can have a team that's got a couple founders, a bit of a C-suite building out. They've got millions of dollars in funding, but they want to go from that handful of employees to dozens of employees in just a few months. They want to go from supporting a handful of buildings to hundreds of buildings within a year, maybe even a thousand within a year. Now they've got some sense of where they want to go. That for many companies may seem like goals, but is it really enough? Is that a sufficient vision? And Alex, that sounds like a strategy. So I'm going to pass that question right back to you. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, that's the place where we often start is with the strategy. And the strategy is made up of vision, of metrics, and a little bit of organizational structure. And so I want to check in to see, as our vision aligns, so we're working with founders, often founders or, or even leaders of departments, and we're going, what does the org want? A lot of times the organization wants to be attracted to investors. They want to be in a position to exit through a sale, maybe to IPO one day. And what do the leaders want? And sometimes in their personal lives, they want something like less time in the day-to-day operations more time in customer acquisition, more time being the face of the organization, less time in the trenches. In some cases, they want things like four-day work weeks so they can spend more time with their families. And and there's not a wrong answer for this. It's important that there is an answer and that we can align what's going on with the organization and what's going on with the leaders. That's the point at which we can really start thinking about metrics. And metrics are really, we can only choose them if we know what the heck we want. So once we know what we want, we can start choosing the numbers that drive us to action. I want to jump in here with you for one second. So when we're thinking about what we want, I'm just onboarding a client right now, brand new client, and his organization, I'm not 100% sure that he knows yet what he wants, even though the company has been around for like five or six years. And there's not really an organizational structure there yet. And my experience and opinion is that really structure should follow strategy. And so where do you guys both, Alex and Bell, where do you come in on that structure strategy, how to get at that if any of our listeners are in a similar kind of position with their organizations? There's this wiggly word that I can feel too abstract sometimes, and it's mission. Mm. And mission feels abstract because sometimes people say it and it comes with a visualization activity, some meditation, and reading star charts. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it's not for everybody. But mission is really sitting back and not caring so much about the situation you're in, but caring about where you want to go. And so if you know kind of where you want the organization to go, where you want to go, 
everything's going to come back to that. So we're going to cascade that down to the rest of the organization, the rest of the planning. So I'm, I'm in agreement with you. It's going to be really hard to choose the right work structure or the right metrics if we don't really know what we're measuring, what we're trying to structure. Yeah, and, and I'm largely going to echo what both of you are saying. The one caveat there is that sometimes it's we pushed the boundaries of functionality a little far. And so it depends, I think, how big your pain is and how urgent that need for structure is in that moment. So kind of coming back into your wheelhouse, Janine, do your people have even a basic level of support? Because the org structure, it supports both directions, right? It supports the achievement of the goals, but also the success and and careers and well-being of the individuals. So if your team is everyone is floundering and fleeing the boat, getting something in place that has a, is optimized around supporting the needs of the team first can be worthwhile, but heavily cautioning that with the need for structure long-term to follow strategy and just being very aware that that is a worst case scenario situation because changing it is going to be difficult. Sometimes if you, if you have a broken bone, <laughs> you've got to put on the splint just to keep walking. So I'm in agreement. Right. But so remember, see? if you leave the splint on too long, you have to rebrace the whole thing. And get it perfect. That's a fabulous metaphor for this. Exactly. And y'all, this is exactly why one plus one plus one equals one. So Alex, take it away again. Thanks. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we're just looking at once we have our mission that we're defined. We know what metrics to use because that's the next thing that happens. People are afraid to use data or they're uncomfortable with it. What's funny when I ask people, why don't business leaders use data? They often say, well, the 50% will say, we don't know what to do with it. The other 50% is various answers. First 50%, the biggest proportion, we won't know what to do with it. That can't be true. I promise you, because we put the right three to five metrics in front of you that represent what you're trying to do with your organization at routine, at cadence, you will know. When we have the right numbers in front of you, when we figure that out together, you will know exactly what to do with them because those numbers are going to move you. When you see something go positive or negative or even stay neutral that you didn't expect it to, and it's an important number to you, your brain's going to start you know, being curious about that. We did all this work. Why isn't the number moving? You're going to start looking at more data. You're going to start interviewing people. You're going to start asking questions and you're going to start coming up with initiatives. And you know what? That's data-driven decision-making. That's what that is. You're doing it. So it's rarely the fact that people don't know what to do with the numbers. It's that we're not putting the right numbers in front of them and we're not putting a good routine around it. So the next thing that most organizations can benefit from is a data routine. And sometimes we have a data geek in there who's really great. He's awesome with numbers and always in it. But then we have another problem, which is they're really into it, but the rest of the team is overwhelmed by it. So the leader, yeah, is not able You're to. Led by somebody like me who doesn't like math. You use such an important word there, Alex, about expect and direction, right? You don't really need to be a math geek to have expectations about up, down, steady. And you can get excited about those trends as long as you can see them. And they're going in the way that you want them to. And now you're just at this place where you can start releasing responsibility to your team. It's not just about the founder anymore. It's not just about the leader of the team doing everything and doing this thing that sometimes people call delegation, but isn't is just kind of commanding people rather than releasing the responsibility of ownership. 
And once we've done that, once we, and it's a process, it can take honestly a couple of months, but once we've gone through that process of release responsibility to the team, we can start thinking about things like that are maybe more in the domain of, of uh, Bell and Janine, but things like org structure. We can be a little more strategic about who we're inviting into the organization. One mistake we joked about that I see a lot in the technology organizations I work with is you'll have a founding team. There'll be a founding technologist. It's our superstar, awesome technologist. And so back when we had a team of two co-founders, one business founder, one technology founder, which is often a way that companies start, it makes sense that we have a technology leader. But now we've found success and we're ready to grow and add new people to the team. And there's a sense that maybe that founding technologist had a C-suite title, a CTO, a chief technology officer title waiting for them. But what we find out, and this happens with even the CEO role and a maturing, growing organization, what those roles really are and what they really mean, they change. And being a chief technology officer does not necessarily mean you're the best at technology. It means that you're filling a role where you're facilitating the communication and the strategy about all the technology organization on behalf of the team, of the investors, of the clients, of everybody. Not every technologist is ready for that. And so a lot of times we see people not being strategic with their org structure, looking out 12 months, say, and what they need. And they're planning for this, for instance, just an example, the founding technologist to be the CTO with no preparation whatsoever, who's built up a life of being an amazing technologist and they've climbed a mountain of technology. But then we ask them to hop over to this other place, which is called leadership management customer relations, investor relations with no support. They didn't build their career up there and it just falls out from under them. And so we either have to say in this example, this isn't going to be the right person. We have to look around at our org structure, use a different strategy, or if this is going to be our person, how are we going to build them up? How are we going to get the structure underneath of them? And so that's just some of how to think about that strategy level. And that starts to move us into how are we going to get to the place we're trying to go? What I've been talking about is how to measure how to plan the route, but how are we really going to get there? And that's really where Bell comes in and shines. Actually, before Bell hops in, I want to underline something that Alex was talking about, which is how often we in organizations take our superstar performers and promote them into management. We promote them into leadership because they're so great at doing what they're doing. Now they're going to manage all the other people but we never help them learn how to manage. 91% of managers have never been trained how to manage anything. And so it's not surprising then that we have a lot of mischief happening in the level of management. So if that's one of the challenges in your organization, please reach out to us. We can help. What does that mean, midship and management? I like that expression. <laughs> and that is such a great tie-in to the process piece as well. Because when you talk about that support structure under a leader, under a manager, it's that notion of delegation, of handoff can be very difficult for a lot of new leaders. It's one of the skills that Janine's talking about that a lot of folks don't get trained in. I mean, I found that process gets a very bad reputation. A lot of people <laughs> think it's a, a four-letter word. And uh-huh. too much or too little process? Oh, yeah. Right? Process is tricky because just waving a wand and saying we have a process is not going to solve 
your problems. You actually need something that's the right fit for your team, for your situation, your scenario. So we don't just need a process. We need the right process. I wish it was different because a process is a heck of a lot easier. And unfortunately, this is one of those cases where depending on the situation, a process really can be worse than no process, depending on your team dynamics. This is something I think you might get into a little more, but depending on their balance of self-starters versus folks who are more comfortable with clear guidelines, if you've got a whole bunch of folks who just want to know what they're doing and be left to their own devices to figure it out, for small numbers, have trying to impose any process on them can have really detrimental results. Whereas when you start to get 20 A performers, how amazing they are, that's just too many for each of them to keep all of the picture in their brains. They're going to need a little bit of process to help bring them together, which is kind of like the mountain that Alex was talking about. If you've got a nice foothills set of mountains, like we have some of the lower California rolling hills The equipment you need is totally different than if you're mountaineering, if you're trying to slog through the snow, go over the ice, you know, snowshoes probably will get you where you need to go. Hiking boots probably will get you where you need to go in either scenario, but man, it's going to be a lot easier, potentially safer if you're matching what you have to the conditions that you're operating under. And Alex, I think this is also one of those places where you get a bit of a virtuous cycle because as you start to adapt these processes to the current scenario, ideally, you start to achieve these goals. And then you need to start thinking about, are we static in our North Star? I don't know if that's a situation you run into with some regularity. And we have the back and forth, like you're saying, hopefully it's virtuous. It could be the opposite. I mean, if you imagine you're on a boat and you have your navigator and you have your captain, the captain's setting the mission and the navigator's checking the compass against the stars every now and then. And hopefully you have some people shoveling coal or however it is that boats move, paddling. So it's all of that happening. But if you're just doing one or two of them, I mean, if you just have your captain and your coal shovelers or a steam engine, I guess, steamboat, I guess. Great. You're moving. (laughs) That's cool. You'll see movement. Is it movement where you want? Are you adjusting the movement? You have the navigator and the captain. Are you just talking a lot and not moving anywhere? So it really is like you're saying, Bill, a process of it just doubles back on itself again and again and again. And we can do it in a way where it's a virtuous cycle. We want it to be a virtuous cycle. We can do it in a way where it's a death spiral also. But (laughs) that aside for a moment, and I'm loving the approach of just have Alex come up with new metaphors and then run with them because do this all day. Yeah. (laughs) Coming back to the boat, as Alex said, if you're Captain knows exactly where you're trying to go, but the navigator doesn't. If the navigator knows precisely how to read the stars, but hasn't bothered telling anyone you're off track, if your rowers or your stokers are phenomenal at what they do, but the ship's not pointed in the right direction for any of the other reasons, nobody is winning. But also, nobody's winning if those three statements aren't true. If the captain doesn't know where they're going, if the Stokers don't know how to keep the fire fed if the navigator doesn't actually know how to read the stars. So Janine, you want to talk to us a little more about getting those right people in those right places? Absolutely. So one of the things that's so tricky is that 
when we're building organization, we often in the early stages, either hiring for, I need somebody who can do X. I need somebody who's a good stoker. I need somebody who's a good rower. I need somebody who can understand the stars. And as we grow, one of the things that's really important is to keep our eye on that North Star, to keep our eye on where is it that we're headed. I do a lot of work in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and people will come to me and they will say, we need to do something about this diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. And I say, okay, great. Why? And there's often silence. And sometimes they say, well, it's what everybody's doing. Sometimes they will say, well, we're working on getting government contracts. And so we need to be able to say that we've got something on diversity. Sometimes organizations will say, well, in order to meet the needs of our market or in order to meet the needs of our mission in the world, we need to be a diverse organization. Those are the organizations that I love working with, where it's really something that's connected to their mission. Because as we were talking about back at the top of the show, if what you're doing isn't really connected to what you're up to, and you're just doing it because you've got to check a box, just devote the smallest amount of time and resources to it as possible and have it be the least public thing that you do. Because again, using Alex's new favorite word, mischief, there can be a lot of mischief that gets created if we take on processes, if we take on procedures, if we take on structure that isn't actually moving us towards our mission. Because when we look at what keeps people engaged and connected in an organization beyond getting a paycheck, Really, what they care about is having work that at the end of the day, they feel like they made a difference. They moved the boat forward in their own way. There's a great story about a CEO of a hospital, and he was talking to two different guys whose job was to clean the floor. And one of the guys said, my job is to clean the floor and have it be the cleanest floor possible. One of the guys said, my job is to clean the floor so that my patients heal faster. That's the guy you want. You want the guy who understands what you're up to as an organization and has bought into it. And how you get there is you create jobs, you design your jobs so that they really are connected to what the mission is of the organization. And you figure out how do people want to be recognized? When I was young, people used to always talk about the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What we have figured out along the way is that there's actually a platinum rule, which is do unto others as they would have done unto them. So you want to find out how do people love to be recognized and recognize them that way. And I love that framing as well around you have to find out because that's one of the key caveats of the platinum rule. If you actually want to follow it, 
you have to ask or research or observe. There's something external to the brain that is doing the treating. If you're going to be successful, then I think that step gets overlooked sometimes. It's overlooked a lot. Thank you. And Alex, did you want to jump in here for a sec too? I would just jump in with people who work with us. They're doing it for a reason. We just don't know what that reason is. Like they came to us and said, I want to work with you. They could have not done that. What is it about what you're doing that's really appealing? And is it just to make a living? Probably not. There's probably other ways they could do it. So there must be something about the environment or the opportunity or maybe a chance at growth or maybe something about the culture. I don't know, right? And we don't always know because people will do it for different reasons. So when we said make guesses, that's not going to work. And it's about mission alignment. Like I'm just echoing (laughs) everything that you're saying, but I think Bell's right. It's a conversation that you have with a real person. And it's one of those things that I think people are understanding more as we move through this current period in time that we're in. Thinking back almost two years ago, when the world started using the word COVID and COVID-19, the thing that enabled organizations that have come through this the best, the thing that has powered that, their coal, their rowers, was communication. It was communicate often and transparently. And so if what I have to tell you is I have no fucking idea what we're going to do, and I know and believe we are going to get through this, then say that. And the organizations that have said that, that have been really clear, like, I've never lived through a pandemic either. (laughs) And I don't know. And I know we're going to figure it out. And I know we're going to figure it out together. Those are the organizations that have really created that sense of we are all in it together. We are vested in here. I hate the phrase we are a family because organizations are actually not families. We are a team and we are in this together and we're going to figure it out. Those are the organizations that have thrived. And those are the organizations that I am now of the generation that is leaving the workforce. I'm the youngest year in the generation. So I still have quite a while. Thank you very much. But it's the millennials and the Gen Zs who are coming in after them. They now make up 50% of the workforce. And folks, if you haven't figured it out yet, what we are talking about here today these are what these folks care about. And so if you want to win in the war for talent that we are all in, these are the things that your organization gets to care about. Belle, did you want to hop in here for a sec before we move on? I think just, again, this is part of why it's such a fabulous collaboration across the three of us, because that fundamental why I think is a uniting theme. And Alex, I think, tends to be more involved in defining the why, but it's so crucial to the work that all of us do. And it really is going to be what ties people back. You can have the best process in the world. You can have the best strategy in the world. If you haven't communicated that why, that core function, and if you haven't communicated to people in a way where they can connect, they're not going to climb the ladder, they're not going to reach the North Star, 
even if they're perfectly capable. And so I love that communication is that sort of thread that ties all of the pieces together. A way to drive performance. Like it's when people say, I want more performance, I want more productivity. How do I do it? It's really not that hard. It's explicit expectations, communicated regularly, and a commitment from your team to do it. And by the way, commitment means, it doesn't mean, I'm going to keep asking you if you're going to do this until I hear you say, yes, that's not commitment. Commitment is, here are my explicit expectations. I'm bringing them to you again and again and again, very explicitly, same ones. And I'm watching your words and actions to see if you're committed to it. And if you can get all of that, then you're driving performance. And the other key in there is how you are communicating with your folks. So as I just said, I wasn't explicit about the generation to which I belong. I'm the very last year of the baby boomers, which means I was born in 1964, which means I am now 57 years old. (laughs) And when I was coming up in the world of work, people were motivated, mostly through fear. People were motivated by fear and by coercion. And by micromanagement and by like, I'm just going to keep saying that thing and I'm going to keep banging you over your head. And if you're not doing it, I'm going to expose you as failing to the rest of the team. Talk about some mischief that got created. And what we have learned, in case we didn't know it to begin with, is that this is actually not the best way to motivate humans. The best way to motivate humans is through something that Dr. Amy Edmondson at Harvard Business School coined a term, psychological safety. And when we have psychological safety at work, that is when people are motivated well and they will speak up and they will speak truth to power and they will get in who will pick up what John Lewis called good trouble who will raise issues that need to be raised so that the organization can make the best decisions going forward. So how do you start creating that? The best way to start creating that is through, (laughs) again, regular communication. And the best way to do that is to get into the habit of debriefing everything. The model that I love to point to for this is the U.S. Marine Corps, because these guys, they debrief everything. We made eggs for breakfast this morning. How did that go? What could have been better? And when you get into the routine of debriefing everything, then when you have a challenge, when you have a hiccup, when something goes not as you would have liked a debrief is no longer an opportunity to bash people over the head or for public shaming. It's an opportunity to learn. And ultimately, that's what we're all talking about here, is how do you create a learning organization so that we are constantly checking in on, do we have the best people? Do we have the best processes? Are we aligned with our mission? Are people motivated? And are they happy? Do we have the right structure? Because things change along the way. And what I love about how the three of us work together is that we help organizations 
with our collaborations to really become well-oiled machines so that everybody is going in the same direction towards the same North Star with the right strategy and structure to support what they're up to. I've heard you, Janine. I've learned a lot about psychological safety in organizations from you, Janine. And I recently encountered some research, there's a lot of it now, around goal setting with your team. And I grew up with expressions like shoot for the stars, at least you'll land for the moon, set an ambitious <laughs> goal that's further than even you think you can, be inspiring. Kennedy had us go to the moon and we didn't even think we could do it, that kind of thing. And I believe all of that's true. And I think there are a lot of people who are highly motivated by that. The research, however, <laughs> the research, and at least inside of organizations, when you're managing people who may not be 100% on the exact same mission as you all the time, is set very achievable goals and help them get there. And when you do that, the systems and organizations that do that, they're more productive organizations. And apples to apples, when you're able to compare that way, they actually perform better than the organizations that have overambitious goals. Perhaps because that's demotivating, because it doesn't feel safe. If you feel sure to fail, you show up in an environment and you're pushed to do things that everyone's pretty sure you can't do anyway. And so it's kind of like, why bother? As opposed to, let me put it forth in front of you, what we think is a very reasonable objective that the reason we hired you was for your talents and your experience in these areas to hit this place that given where you are, it should be reasonable for you to hit. And if we can push you a little past that, great. but. The goal is actually the attainment of what we know we need alongside what we know you can provide. When you talk about psychological safety, and I saw that study, I thought of you. And I think that ties back in with exactly with the platinum rule and making sure, because you said something very important at the beginning, Alex, some people are motivated by that shoot for the stars approach, that mentality. And so great, if you have someone on your team who needs to feel that way, if you have that strategy clear, if you have processes that you know can enable you to reach it, even if that's several years down the line, when you've got one of those people who says, yeah, yeah, I can do that this year, but what are we really going for? Like, show me the moon, show me the stars. You have that ability, but finding the balance, right? So that for realistically the majority of team members, you can say, we are going to head for the stars. We're darn confident we're at least going to hit the moon. But for today, here's the ladder. Here's the first three steps. And I'd love to see you climb them. It's exactly what I would advise. It's the exact same thing. It's, hey, leaders, share your big vision, your big, giant, awesome, inspiring vision of how the world's going to change. And then share the very next step. Also, here's the very next thing that I know we can do. I don't know if we're going to make it all the way over there, but that's the idea, given some time and some effort. The very next thing that I know we can do is this. And then the very next thing that you, Alex, get to do as you're part of that is this. And here's the very next thing that you, Bell, get to do as you're part of that is this. So it's back to that communication. It's back to you communicate the big vision, you communicate the moonshot or the loon shot or whatever it is and where we're going, how we're making the world a better place. If what we're doing is making mops, great. How are mops making the world a better place? And how does our mop rock and really help make the world a better place? And then Alex, what is your part in getting that mop into the most people's hands? And Belle, what is your part in the engineering of the mop 
and whatever your slot is in helping to make that come true, that's how we get everybody moving in the same direction. And that's how we get the best people to stick around in our organizations. I was just on a call earlier today with a bunch of CEOs and they were talking about, oh my God, the great resignation and we're losing people. And then it's impossible to find good people, great people, the right people. Like, okay, so keep your damn people. Stop doing things, stop creating mischief, stop allowing mischief to happen inside your organizations. Ensure that your best people stick around. And if that's what you need, one plus one plus one equals three equals one. One plus one plus one equals one. We are the team who can help you get there. So before we leave it for today, any other thoughts, Belle or Alex, any other things that you wish we had talked about that we haven't yet talked about? I think from my side, we've really covered a lot of the basics. We've gone through some of these key challenges. I probably our most visceral, but that broken bone <laughs> example, I think that I'm going to come back to that in the future that sometimes you need a temporary set, but beware of the long-term implications. But even there, right, you've got a clear goal. The goal is to have a functional bone again. <laughs> And I love that all of these different pieces need to come together to do that, right? Not every organization needs support in their strategic direction, needs support in their processes, needs support in their people well-being, but every organization does need to be solid on all of those fronts. Which is why we each own our individual companies and occasionally get to collaborate together. Exactly. <laughs> Alex, any last words before we shut it down for today? It's been a delight. It's always fun to hang out with Janine and Belle because they have a lot of insights and I'm always learning a little bit more because we're already so well aligned because we've just seen enough businesses move and occasionally not move. I guess what's been great is we see the same themes. We've been noticing the same themes and that's reaffirming and reinforcing. I guess if I were to share one thing, it would be if you're in a situation that is difficult, but you don't know why, you're hitting your head against the ceiling and the ceiling, you know, the ceiling's not supposed to be there. It's supposed to be your inflection point. And looking at your team and you've been working, you found this kind of success where you're at. And that should mean that you're going to the next multiplier of success. It's supposed to be an inflection point, but you're just hitting the ceiling and nothing much is moving. It might be time to have somebody come in and check it out and look around and help you find the elevator and help you find the stairs. And it's surprising sometimes. It's just a couple of small shifts. It's a little bit of a technique, a shift in mindset, someone showing you something you just didn't notice before because you're in a new place. You're in a place you haven't been before. You got here, but you haven't been here before. And you might be surprised how little energy it takes to make the shift. And you might be surprised how fast you begin to see the results. And that I think has been with some of the people that I've worked with. I think some of that's been the biggest shock. Oh, in a month, we started seeing the change and not just one person, but the team started seeing the change. I think that if I've been doing this for a while, I wouldn't have guessed that just a little bit of energy and time can make such substantial change so quickly. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alex Selinsky. Thank you, Bell Walker. As Alex said, it is always a delight to get to spend time in your company learning from your brilliance. 
and getting to collaborate with you. So I hope all of our listeners, you have enjoyed this as much as we have. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think I'm beginning